0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Once you have found Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start in that 20th verse of the fourth chapter. And read down through the 24th verse in Ephesians chapter four, verse 20. It reads like this. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our fellowship, through our Sunday school time, through the singing of your hymns, through the wonderful music that was just sung for your glory this morning, Father, and now as we open your word, I ask that you help us to focus our attention solely upon you and what you have to say to us this morning. For none of us are in this place by accident. We are here under your divine appointment, and we have a meeting with you. Today you will speak to the hearts of those gathered here. I pray that our ears be opened that we may hear. You hide me behind the cross and make very little of me and very much of yourself today as we glorify you through the exposition of your word. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. If you've been with us the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at putting on the new man, this particular passage that started back in the 17th verse. We looked through 17 through 19 at what the old man was and we started a few weeks ago on this uh, 20th through 24th verse looking at the contrast to the new man. It started there in verse 20 with the but you if you remember we talked about the but you being those who do not live like the old man but have been created a new man that but you as the people who have heard the call of God unto salvation have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have put their full trust in what Jesus Christ did for that salvation and have picked up their cross and followed him on a daily basis. All those things are involved in the but you. You've heard me say multiple times it's not about walking the aisle or being baptized or memorizing scripture or having your name on the roll at the church. It is all about putting your faith completely in what Jesus Christ did for you upon that cross. The fact that you were a sinner dying and headed to a place called hell but for the grace of God and his son Jesus Christ hell would be our destiny. And the but you is, is the you who have received that truth because of what God has done in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we started looking at what does the but you look like? What are we supposed to look like? The very first thing we saw in that scripture is the fact that we should have a transformed mind Our mind should be transformed. It's transformed in three ways. Number one, we learn about Christ. That's how you come into salvation. You learn who Christ is and who you are in comparison to Christ. So you learn about him, which starts the work in your heart from learning about him. The second thing that we did to transform our mind or God did in us was the hearing him. It was God speaking to us through his words. You realize every time you pick up this Bible and you read it, it's as if you're sitting in the room with God and he is speaking to your heart. See, it's not just a bunch of words on a page. It's God's breath, his voice written in pen by the people he selected to do that. He worked through their hand and their personality so that each book looks a little different because of the background and personality of the person who wrote it. But every bit of it from cover to cover is the very spoken word of God. There's not a word that has been misplaced. There is not a thought that has been changed. It is all the infallible word of God. And we hear him every time we pick up that word and we read it. Every time we sit in a place like this and we hear it expounded from the pulpit. Every time we sit in Sunday school and we study that together. Each time you do that, you are listening to the very voice of God. So it starts by learning about Christ and and then hearing from Christ through the word. And then it's being taught because when you hear what you've learned about, you're taught about it. There's not a single one of us that the day that we were saved, our life was perfect. That is not the way it works. Why? We're still living in this world filled with sin and a body that is inclined to sin. There's not a one of us we are honest with ourselves that there is not a sin that we like. That's why there's still need for forgiveness and repentance. Each of us have something in our life that we struggle with because we enjoy it. That, that's his human body. As Paul said, it, it is not I Who do those things? It is this body that I live in. For the new man, the new I, does not desire to do that, yet it is trapped in this body that is inclined towards sin. Sometimes we get very down on ourselves and we try to hide from the fact that there is sin in our life, and God doesn't want you to hide. God wants you to come out of the closet. God wants you to come out of the closet and fall on your face before him and say, God, I realize I am a new creation. This body I am in, I have been inclined to sin against you and ask for forgiveness of that sin. How do you know to do that? It's because you learned of Christ, you heard him speak, and now you've been taught by the word what it means to be a Christian. See, for too long in the church, we have made being a Christian all about what we have done in service, about what we have done to be God's. Understand, it's not a thing about what you have done. It's about what God has done. You can walk all the aisles and all the churches and all the world, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and place your faith in him, you've walked a bunch of miles on your pedometer, but you're not going to heaven. You see, what what going to heaven is all about, it's not what you have done. It's about recognizing the fact you couldn't do it. If you could do it, we would still be keeping the law. You think about it, if you could do it, why would God hang his only begotten son on a cross? If I could accomplish it, there was no need for Jesus to die. You know what I realized when I realized that I couldn't do it? I realized that there had to be something else. What was the something else? It was not me because I couldn't keep it, so it must be the perfect one, and that is Jesus Christ. And you see, when you learn about Christ, you hear about Christ, you're taught to live like Christ. Understand me, there is nothing short of perfection in Christ. The bar is not set at the neighbor sitting next to you in the pew. The bar is not set at the pastor of the church. That should not be your goal. If you think that I'm the goal, spend a little time with my wife. She'll explain to you, you've probably passed me already. I am not the goal. The church member sitting next to you is not the goal. The goal of your Christian walk is Jesus Christ. I hope it makes you back up and go, I don't think I can do that. That's the point. You can't, and I can't. But Jesus can through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you, because you can't do it. If we could keep the Ten Commandments, Jesus wouldn't have died. There'd been no need for his death. Why do we think we can keep the Ten Commandments after he died? If we had to put total dependence on him to be saved, we need total dependence on him to walk the Christian life. So that's the transformed mind. What does the transformed mind lead to? The second point of the new man is a truth-filled life. A truth-filled life. He tells us there in verse 21, the very last part of it, as as he said, if indeed you've heard him and been taught by him as truth is in Jesus. (laughs) There's only one truth. There is only one truth. And it's not open to discussion and it's not open to interpretation. It doesn't matter if I don't like it or if I do like it. It is still the truth. What's wrong in our world today? Our world today wants to change the truth. Yet the truth is contained in that Bible that you're holding in your hand. The truth of what God has had to say is there. Like I prayed this morning, it has never changed. Some like to use certain translations because they're older. Guess what? It didn't change from the older to the newer. It may have put it in plainer English, but it's the same truth. It is the absolute same truth. There are some interpretations you may want to steer away from. But for the bulk of the literal interpretations from the Bible that were done from original manuscripts, the entire theme, the entire structure, the entire message that comes through that is that truth. Just like any truth, you can't take one piece out and make it truth and discard the rest. It must all be kept in context. And we must live that truth-filled life. When we or the world disagree with what the Word of God says, we must not look to change the Word of God. We must look to change us. And that's what Paul was saying, that we're to lead that life that's been changed. See, every day we should grow to be a little more like Christ through the truth that we find in His Word. See, we must look to this truth to change, We must be willing to look to this truth and change. Is, is change easy? No. Change is one of the most difficult things we go through. It really is. You know how I know? We can change one thing in the church that we don't tell everybody about and guess what the discussion with me is for the next week. Why did we change that? I often say, does it make any difference? I can know, we just want to know why we changed it. Because it's not easy. Your job. You wind up getting shifted to a different position. They may pay you the same and ask you to do something that takes less work, but it's tough for us to let go of the old and grasp onto the new. For many of the folks that we're dealing with out in the community now that have lost everything, change is being very real in their life, and it's difficult. Change is not easy in our worldly life. What makes us think change is going to be easy in our Christian life? I think the change in our Christian life is way harder than the change in our worldly life because the change in my Christian walk causes me to look at those things which I have done wrong and be honest with an almighty God that I have done those things wrong and then be willing to take the steps necessary, no matter how painful they are, to change. And this truth-filled life is part of that, changing. How does this truth of Jesus changes. How does it change us? I think there's a very interesting place in John that the truth is talked about. John 18. Because I think to understand how to be changed by the truth, you must understand what the truth is. Look at verse 36 of John chapter 18. You're going to see this story, literal story of what's going on with Jesus And he's standing before Pilate. And in verse 36, it says this. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king? Then and Jesus answered, you say it rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Then Pilate asked the question we all want to ask. What is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. Here we see Jesus the very last hours of his life, standing before Pilate, the man who held the physical power to place Jesus in the hands of those who would execute him. He stands before him. If you'll go back and read the rest of that trial, starting in verse 28, he's asked a lot of questions. He's had a lot of accusations thrown at him. And he stood there, not defending himself on any of those things. Yet Pilate looks at him and in verse 35, he says, I am a Jew, your own nation, a chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Is what he asked in verse 35. And that's when Jesus answered because they were saying that he was there to uproot the government. He was there to set into place a new government or a new kingdom. And Jesus says, The kingdom that I am king over has absolutely nothing to do with this world. See, in verse 36, he says, His kingdom's not political, His kingdom's not of the things, His kingdom's not about the power. In those offices, his kingdoms not about the corruption that's going on. And it's definitely not about the self-fulfillment of Jesus himself being the worldly king. He says, none of those things that entrap you, that make you want to be king, none of those things are my concern. He's saying, my king comes from a totally different place. My kingdom is a place that you know nothing about, Pilate. And he looks at him and says that, and that's what... Pilate answers and says, so you fashion yourself to be a king, do you? You can almost hear the dripping sarcasm in it. Yet Jesus looks at him, doesn't defend his answer, and says, you're right. You said it, and I am. See, when he spoke the truth, he didn't need to defend the truth. He said, I, I'm the king. There's not a doubt about it. I, I am the king of this kingdom that is to come. Jesus said he had come to set up a rule, but it was for a totally different reason than the world sees. For you said he, in verse 37, the very last part, he says that I have come into this world for this cause. And this cause is to bear witness to the truth. Witness to the truth. His kingdom's foundation is the truth. (laughs) The truth. And he says, I've come to set the foundation. I've come to share the truth. How did he come to share the truth? If you couple that with another time that he answered why he had come, if you remember in Luke 19, I think it's about verse 10 or 11, he says that he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Lay that beside the fact that he said, I have come to bear witness to the truth. What is the truth then? The truth that Jesus is the only salvation for a lost and dying world. The foundation upon which he was setting everything was laid solidly upon his back as being the truth. And it was that truth of who he was that would change the entire world. Yet there are so many who don't receive that truth. They balk at it. They say it can't be that. It's too simple. There's got to be something else. I've got to participate. God said it's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus, the truth. And he says, I've come to proclaim that truth. And that truth is I've come to save those which are lost. To bring them into this glorious, glorious kingdom. To the loss that God has called unto salvation, Jesus is the truth. If you meet someone that says Jesus is not the truth, you can lay pretty good odds on the fact that person does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For to place your faith in any other truth is to not place your faith in Jesus, which sends you to a place called hell. There's no way around that. There's only one truth. And it says there, very interestingly, in the very end of that 37th verse, after he says, I've come to bear witness to the truth, he makes this statement that should make chills jump upon your body. He says, Everyone who is of the truth, and the truth being Jesus Christ, you can say, everyone who is of Jesus Christ hears my voice. See, one of the greatest tests of whether or not you're a Christian is the passage we're looking at in Ephesians. Because truly, to be of the truth, you must hear the voice of Jesus The loudest thing that resonates in your heart and your mind on an hourly, minute, second basis should be that voice of Jesus Christ. You shouldn't look to see how can you solve it worldly. You should look to see how does God want to solve it and I'll join him. We've experienced that over the last few weeks. As we've gone to do something that I'll be honest with you, when I presented it to the church, I had just come off my knees saying, God, if this isn't of you, I'm in a world of hurt. Because all the other churches were donating stuff to go to these families and God laid it upon my heart that the way Jesus would have done it, he'd have gone put his arm around him and said, what can I do for you? You know what I knew I was asking of you as a church? Hours upon hours of your life. You know what I knew you were willing to give me? Any of your possessions. I knew that. The church has always done that. If I've come to you and said, there's a need, can we meet it? You've gone above and beyond and you've met it. But you know what I want to tell you, church? It's a whole lot easier for me to reach in my pocketbook than it is for me to give up two Saturdays to be in somebody else's world. It is absolutely way easier for me to ask you to give money and me send it to somebody and say, now go do good with it. You know what I understand by asking you to give up your life for folks you've never met and you may never see again? I'm asking you to hold firm to the truth, which is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus gave up his entire life in heaven for me. And when he did that, I'm sure it wasn't his choice. He was doing it out of complete obedience to his father. And this church has lived out that truth in the world. Has lifted out. Because Jesus walked the road where no one else wanted to walk. He touched the bodies of those no one else wanted to touch. He fed those who were starving. He walked into homes of those who had died and told them to get off the bed. They were no longer dead. When everyone else was having a funeral service, Jesus walked in and said, I have no idea why you're crying. Get up. We've got somewhere to go. See, Jesus didn't just send them a check and say, there's some money to cover the funeral expense. He showed up and said, there's no need for a funeral. Let's have a party. And see, that's the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is more than say it. I believe it. It's showing you believe it. In church, I know I'm not supposed to be prideful, but I have never been more proud to be your pastor. There are people walking up to me I've never met saying, man, your church is doing wonderful things. And I'm looking at them going, we've done nothing. In the grand scheme of things, it's a little bitty scratch on the surface. Yet people realize that you love Jesus so much, you're willing to reach out to them. (laughs) That's the truth. That's the work out of a transformed mind and a truth-filled life. And what Jesus is saying here is he has come to... Bear witness of this truth, and everyone who hears the truth hears him, and by you hearing him, you have now lived out the truth of Jesus Christ in your life without even realizing probably that's what you were doing. You lift out the truth of Jesus Christ to a whole bunch of folks that probably were questioning, why did God do this? You know what they're questioning now? Why did God send them? They're not worried about why God sent the storm. They're trying to figure out why in the world would this group of ragtag bunch show up with a bucket full of tools and spend their day in my house when they don't have any idea who I am. Their whole question of God has now changed from why did the flood come, but why did God send these folks to me? That's living out the truth of God's word. He says that a sign of salvation is hearing his voice. Is hearing the voice of God through Jesus Christ, the word that's spoken through the truth that's there. See, every person who has been recreated, who is a new creation and is a new man, is very sensitive to that truth of God's word. The smallest whisper from God reaches your ears and touches your heart. See, the old man has absolutely no sensitivity. No sensitivity to the truth of God. How do we know that? Look at the things that are being debated in our world today. Whether or not a man can use a woman's bathroom, whether or not two women or two men can be married, whether or not the best thing for our world is to give up the power the United States has and let the UN run it. Look at the things that are being questioned. It would take me five minutes with the Bible to answer all those for them, and it would not be the answers they're coming up with. But you know why they can't open the Bible and get the answers? They're not a new creation. See, they're an old creation. And all they're looking at is this world through the lens of what's best for them. You know how a Christian looks at the world? What's best for God's glory? And that comes from the transformed mind, which is the new creation. And everyone who hears his voice and knows him as their Lord and Savior hears the smallest whisper from an almighty God about what needs to be done in the world around them and how they should live their life. How exactly does that voice come to our heart? I think about the fact that it tells us it comes oftentimes through a very small whisper and the urging of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that person of the Trinity that searches the deep inner thoughts of an Almighty God. Do you realize the Holy Spirit that indwells you as a new creation? The Bible says He searches the deep things of God. a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, It's a rather lengthy passage. I'm just going to let you go home and read it from 6 to 16. You read it. I'm going to pick out a couple of verses because of time and talk to you about them. He says in verse 7, this is what they were doing. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of glory. He says there is this wisdom we've been speaking, this wisdom. But who is the wisdom spoken to? He tells us in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. He's saying we've been speaking about this mystery. What is the mystery? God and his plan. He's been speaking this mystery just like we proclaim the mystery that Jesus Christ is the Savior. We proclaim this mystery to the world. and It says that the the kings, the the ones put in place, those who are are the smart ones, they they don't understand. They don't understand what's being said there in verse 8, which none of the rulers of the age do. He says, to put an exclamation point on it, how do we know they didn't know? Because it says, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of God, the Lord of glory. You think about it. If they wanted to maintain power and hold the kingdom, and they knew that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would ultimately change the world where his kingdom would come, they would have done everything in their power to keep that man alive. Because by hanging him on a cross and killing him, they lost all the power that they ever had. See, if they really knew who that Jesus was, they would have kept him alive. Because by him dying on the cross, being buried and rising again, they were no longer the king of anything. Because now God's plan, the mystery, had been put in place. He backs that up with Isaiah 64 and 65 there in verse 9 when he says, Man cannot see and know what God has prepared for him. See the use of the human wisdom. You can't see it through human wisdom. You can only know it through God's inkling. He moves on then into verse 10. And he says, but God has revealed them to us through his Holy Spirit. That transformed mind that now has your mind in complete control of the Holy Spirit. That transformed mind lets you see the deep secret things. For it says, for the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Do you understand that Holy Spirit that indwells you and empowers your life has searched the deep things of God? How do you live a truth-filled life? You yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. For he goes on to tell us in verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. You want to make the word of life come, or the, the, the Bible come to, to life in you as you read it. You want to make every time you hear God's voice come to life, yield your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. Quit questioning why he's asking and start saying, you ask so I accept the challenge, I'll do it. Quit trying to figure out in your own mind what it is God would have you do. Sit still, be still, and listen for the voice of God. And when God speaks into your heart, you do that thing which he has called you to do, and you will see the glory of God in your life. See, he goes on in verse 12, and he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Do you realize that you have received the third person of the Trinity if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Why are you never separated from God? Because God lives in you. Your life should be in full and complete control of that Holy Spirit that indwells you. He goes on in verse 13 and talks about comparing the spiritual things. to unman, unsaved man in verse 14, he says, does not receive the spiritual things. He goes on in verse 14, they even say they're foolishness, for they are foolishness to him, those things of God. There are going to be those that look at you and say, this is foolish. This makes no sense, because to them, they don't see what you see. He goes on into verse 15, and he tells us, but, he who is spiritual judges all things. There are those who will say we are not to judge. And that's using one verse out of the Bible incorrectly. Because it says in verse 15, we are to judge. Lay that next to the other. You figure out which one's right. I happen to believe them both. It says we are to judge. Does that mean I judge a person to heaven or hell? No, that's what the verse says when it says don't judge. It's not my job, that's God's job. It says we are to judge things Spiritually. But it also says, but he himself is rightly judged by no one. See, we are to look at all things spiritually. We could have very simply, in the things that we've done the last couple of weeks, only chosen those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to go work in their house. We could have said God would have us spend our time and our money on those who are part of the kingdom. I ask you, is that a spiritual look at the world or a worldly look at the world? You see, because if... Christ has come to be the Savior of the lost. How is he going to get to the lost if his children refuse to go? He tells us to go and preach. He doesn't say we take the Bible and stand in a pulpit and do it, because we preach with our lives. So we are to spiritually judge. We're to look and say, there is this person I spiritually discern as being lost. What can I do in the world to show them Jesus Christ? We are to look to do that, which God has done. Why? Because it says in verse 16, We've known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct us. See, you know because of a transformed mind, the mind of the world. See, Pilate in that passage in John asked the one thing that we all ask, what exactly is the truth? In this world that we're in today, the truth seems so jumbled up. We don't know what is right and wrong. We're almost afraid to say what we stand for because it's going to offend someone. We hear people arguing over some of the craziest things this day and time. But I'll tell you, everything that comes from this word of God is the truth. And you need to stand firmly upon that truth. See, Jesus tells us a lot there in John. And I'll end with this. John 14, verse 6. He starts off this way telling us about the truth it's one of the great i am statements and there are several in the bible it would do you good to go home and look up those i am statements those are truths that you can hold firmly to that there's no question about and he says in verse 6 of chapter 14 of john he says jesus said to him this is after he says lord do we do not know where you're going or how we how do we know the way jesus looks at him and says i am the way the truth the life no one comes to the Father except through me. If you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, you must also believe he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Because he said it. If he said it, I believe it, no matter who's offended. Because it says it there, the word. So he starts off saying, I am the truth. And no one comes unto my father except it be through the truth, the way, the life, Jesus Christ. That's where he started. In John 1.1, 1, 1, John told us that he is, in fact, God. That's another truth that you could hold on to. And you'll see the point of all this in a minute as we build towards it. Before it says in John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus himself said that he is the word. So the word that is Jesus Christ, John, by the very urging of the Holy Spirit, wrote the very words of God when God said, In the beginning was the word, capital W, Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. And he goes on to say, All things were made through him for him. Nothing was made that didn't come through his precious hands. So the truth is Jesus is God. If you flip over to John 3, one of the passages that you've learned from, from early on in your life, but starting in verse 14 of John 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is the man that had just said in John 1.1, is God and was with God. So now he's referred to as the Son of Man being lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But he didn't end there. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned. See, the truth is Jesus is God, and the truth is that he came to this earth with one purpose, to spread the truth, the truth being that he came to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Any person who chooses not to believe that Jesus is the only way has condemned themselves to a place called hell. There is no way around it. The offer has been made. The choice has been left. If they choose not to receive that gift of Jesus Christ, they are turning off their ears to the truth and they are accepting a lie. And their destiny is a place called hell. Over in John the 11th chapter. In the 25th verse, he says this. Jesus said to her, and this is the part I rejoice in as knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He says in the 25th verse, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus himself has said, I am the resurrection. Your future as a living, breathing soul in a new body, in a place called heaven, Your future is solely dependent on the fact that I am the resurrection. How do we know he is the resurrection? Because you can't find his body in a tomb any longer. Because exactly what God said would happen three days after he died happened. He rose from the dead. Proof positive that he paid the price. Proof positive that when he says, I am the resurrection and I'm coming back to get you and you're going to live again. Just as surely as we can hold to the fact he's not in the tomb. We can hold to the fact that he's going to call us home alive in Christ one day. We're no longer going to be laid in the cemetery across the street. We're going to be living in the presence of our almighty God and our Savior forever. He says, I am the resurrection of life. And if you believe in me, you're never going to die. This body may be put in the ground, but I will live forever in his presence. See, that's the truth. Feel Light. that's the truth you can hold on to. The final truth that I want to point out to you this morning, and there are thousands more, is in John 14.1. John 14.1 is a passage I often use at funerals because people are hurting so bad, but it surely applies to us today. See, it says this in 14.1, let not your heart be troubled. Is your heart troubled? You know, it's difficult to look around you in this world today and for your heart not to be troubled. I think about the future of generations that are to come. What in the world are we leaving them? What are we leaving them? This world is going to be really different for the generations that follow us. So my heart is troubled, but he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God? The question being, do you believe in God? Do you believe there is a God? If you believe there is a God, the next statement says, believe also in me. And that's Jesus. Jesus said, if you You shouldn't be troubled. If you believe there is a God, then you need to believe in me also. And why? He says, in my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you'll know. (laughs) And the way, you know. What is the way to the place that Jesus is building our mansion? It's Jesus. For Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is not only the builder of the mansion, he's the layer of the path that leads to that mansion. All of our eternity is placed in Jesus Christ. From the moment he saves us from death and sin, our path is laid before us by the way to the place that he is now preparing for us. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one day he is going to come back and call you home. He's going to usher you into your new dwelling place. You're going to be forever in the presence of the one who has the nail-pierced hands. You're going to forever look into the eyes of the man who loved you so much. They left glory to live a life on this wretched earth and to bear all of your sins so that you wouldn't have to there's going to be a day that you'll get to look into the face of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and just say thank you. See, because he's made that promise that a truth-filled life, the end of that truth-filled life, is living in the presence of the Almighty God, in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, placing your belief in any other way to eternal life leads to eternal death. Any way other than Jesus leads to eternal death. And that death is in a place called hell. See, the question in all reality is not really what is truth. The question in all reality is not even if what I have shared with you this morning is truth. The question I lay before you, I think, is the greatest question of all eternity. What are you going to do with it? To know it makes absolutely no difference. If you don't believe it enough for it to be in your heart. See, if you've placed your faith in the truth of Jesus Christ, you should be living a truth-filled life. That truth-filled life is not a Sunday and Wednesday night adventure. That truth-filled life is a life that in every step you take, every word that you say, every action that you do, should proclaim your belief in the truth of Jesus Christ. So this morning I ask you, what have you done with the truth of